The Biden regime claims we killed the head of al-Qaeda. But how can we know for sure? Is the answer to the question in Panama City, Florida? Plus, should the FBI be abolished and a lot of them prosecuted? Speaking of prosecutions, how about doctors Fauci and Burks and everybody that tried to sell us the vaccine? Find out on this edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode <laughs> This is episode 207 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to mention. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay. So it was announced Monday afternoon that our CIA took out the head of al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden's former right-hand man, Ayman al-Zawahiri. Peace be not upon him. Now, a lot of times Americans pronounce it Zawahiri, but Arabic folks always pronounce it Zawahiri. And I found that out many, many years ago. A guy named Michael Medved, who used to do uh, talk radio, pronounces Zawahari. And Michael Medved has a very high IQ. And I figured, you know, if he's pronouncing it differently than everybody that I've ever heard pronounce it, there might be a reason for that. And sure enough, there is. Anyway, so I was watching Fox News coverage, and whenever I mentioned that I was watching Fox News on social media, usually to criticize them, people always say, Doc, why are you still watching Fox after what they did to us in the aftermath of the stolen 2020 presidential election? Well, I still watch Fox, so you don't have to. That's my job. Anyway, in pretty short order, Monday afternoon, Fox News Channel started to bring on expert guests and they said something along the lines of, well, although this is great news, if it actually happened, it would be nice to see some proof that we actually got Ayman al-Zawahiri. Former Chief of Staff of the National Security Council during the Trump administration, Fred Flights, said it, as did former National Security Advisor to Vice President Pence, retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. Now, apparently, we confirmed the exterminations of bin Laden and the ISIS guy al-Baghdadi with DNA. 
Also, when we took out Iranian terrorist leader Soleimani, we had video of the cars in his entourage burning and a photo of his severed hand with a ring on it that he always wore. Remember that? So these national security guests on Fox News Channel were saying it would really be nice to have some proof that we really did get this Zawahiri guy who was so integrally involved in the planning of the 9-11 attacks in our country, the 2000 bombing of the U.S. coal, and the 1998 attacks on our embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. So we were all wondering if Joe Biden would actually present any evidence. I mean, how do we know we actually got this guy? But all he said was that we got him. One of his best lines, when he spoke on television Monday evening, he actually plagiarized from Trump. Let me see how I got it in here. Yeah, here we go. This is a great and defining truth about our nation and our people. We do not break. We never give in. We never back down. Okay, so, you know, he plagiarizes. We know about that, right? This time he plagiarized Trump. But whenever I hear Biden give a speech these days, I can't, uh, I don't know, I just, I can't get this out of my mind. End of quote. Repeat the line. End of quote. Repeat the line. He'll read whatever's on the, on the teleprompter in front of him. He's always plagiarizing. You know what? I, I, I'm going to get back to Ayman al-Zawahiri in a minute. But speaking of Biden plagiarizing, you know, the mainstream media try to warn us about this guy. Back in 1987, did you realize that? People like Sam Donaldson. People like Ted Koppel. People like Leslie Stahl. A bunch of them tried to warn us about this guy when he had to drop out of running for president the first time in 1987 in the lead-up to the 1988 primaries. It was brutal. And nothing has changed. It's about two minutes and 20 seconds. Check it out. You know, I was thinking on the way over here. Now, that's a little too much because, as you point out, what's behind the words? What's there? That's Sam Donaldson on This Week, ABC. And a lot of people, the rap on Biden has always been, it's just a surface. I should have said, to paraphrase Neil Kinnock, it's the only time I didn't. In all the times I've ever used it. But CBS News found a tape of a second instance. It reappeared in the New York Times with a new charge. That Biden had appropriated a famous litany from the late Robert Kennedy about what the gross national product cannot measure. It cannot measure the health of our children. The health of our children. The quality of our education. The quality of their education. The joy of their play. For the joy of their play. He was just ripping off Bobby Kennedy, who wasn't around anymore. 
to say, hey, you're ripping me off. What a ghoul this Biden guy is. Ripping off a dead man. Biden gave Kennedy no credit. He has also quoted or paraphrased John Kennedy, Hubert Humphrey, and British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock, all without credit. Joseph Biden admitted today that he committed plagiarism when he was in law school. He said it was a mistake, but that it was unintentional. He quoted five pages of someone else's work without proper citation. That's unintentional? You quote five pages of someone else's work in law school without citation, and that's unintentional? Guy's a crook. He's always been a crook. Did you know this? I've done some dumb things, and I'll do dumb things again. He was given an F. So ladies and gentlemen, I've been dumb. To the political community in Washington, it all seems of a piece. Plagiarism at law school, plagiarism on the stump. The great communicator. Strike that. The great imitator john mclaughlin mclaughlin group pbs these are not conservative types these are all libs mainstream media you don't steal verbatim uh or when you do as he did 99 percent of the time you give credit biden's critics say he sells himself as a man whose words and visions can inspire a new generation in politics but if the thoughts phrases and visions really belong to others it's a form of false advertising is it a wise idea, though, to take something that personal anyway from another politician and try and appropriate it to your own campaign? I think That's Ted Koppel again. It was a stupid thing to uh, appropriate uh, material that was really very personal that was someone else's. Most people didn't know who he was. You know, Joe Biden, Biden, and now they're going to say, oh, yeah, he's the guy who plagiarized. That's a lot of people. First. Politically, that's devastating. These clips are devastating. He looks like a Joe Biden wind-up doll with somebody else's words coming out. If they're going to do things that are stupid as well as immoral, then they're probably too dumb to have the job of president. Yeah, he's uh, proven that on a regular basis. Anyway, I just... You know, today he, well, yesterday, Monday, he plagiarized Trump even. You know, nothing changes with this guy. Nothing changes with this guy. I'm sorry. I was too far away from the microphone. Just want to make sure I repeat it for the folks listening in the back. The great philosopher uh, David Byrne of Talking Heads might say, same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Anyway, so um, the idea about making sure we got Dr. Ayman al-Zawahiri, or as most Americans like to say who've heard of him, Zawahiri. Well, I had an idea. Now, I remember reading years ago that Dr. Ayman al-Zawahiri, Osama bin Laden's second-in-command, who became the leader of al-Qaeda when we took out Osama bin Laden, this al-Zawahiri guy had a second cousin, A guy named Dr. Kamal Zawahiri, who 
settled in Panama City, Florida many years ago. Now, I, I, I lived in Panama City, Florida for years. I never met him. But I knew he used to call the general manager of my radio station and complain all the time because I tro- told the truth about the violence that's in the Koran. You know, exhortations for Muslims to be violent against non-Muslims. And thank God most of them aren't. Most of them don't take that seriously. But the ones who do, you know, wind up flying, flying airplanes into buildings and stuff like that. Anyway, I read about the uh, connection there between the guy who was like the godfather of the Muslim community in Panama City, Florida, and Dr. Ayman al-Zawahiri of al-Qaeda. They, the claim was that they were second cousins. And that Dr. Kamal Zawahiri and Dr. Ayman al-Zawahiri actually attended medical school together in Cairo many, many years ago when they were young men. Now, sadly... Kamal Zawahiri passed away over four years ago, but he still has living relatives in Panama City, Florida. And, of course, I'm sure they're all patriotic, peace-loving American Muslims who would love to help us out, right? So perhaps some of them would be willing to contribute some DNA so we can make sure we got the right guy when we lobbed a couple of missiles into a guy standing on a balcony in Kabul, Afghanistan. Yeah, sure. Maybe maybe one of them would be willing to contribute some DNA, right? Right. So when Dementia Joe made his announcement that we got Ayman al-Zawahiri Monday evening, that's what he said. We took him out with a couple of missiles while he stood on a balcony of a home in Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. Okay, wait. Isn't this the same Joe Biden who told us we no longer had any worries about Afghanistan because al-Qaeda was no longer there? Sure sounds like they're back to me. Anyway, I guess the problem, we're trying to get ironclad proof that we got Ayman al-Zawahiri, is the Taliban is unlikely to help us identify his remains. I mean, you would think the fact that Biden left over $60 billion with a B worth of military equipment for the Taliban when he ordered us to retreat out of Afghanistan, they could use all this stuff or sell it to the highest bidder, over $60 billion worth? You'd think that would have engendered some goodwill on their part to us, but it turns out the Taliban is not so cheap a date after all. Well, as far as I am concerned, if we did actually exterminate Al-Qaeda's own Ayman al-Zawahiri, may he rest in pieces. Hey, can I get an Ayman up in here? You gotta, you gotta have a little bit of levity, sometimes. A little bit of levity, sometimes. All right, there is so much 
so much to talk about today. This whole deal with the FBI. I mean, I uh, I hardly know where to start. And the whole thing with COVID and the vaccines. I uh, I hardly know where to start. There is so much corruption going on. Oh, oh by the way, Jennifer Rubin, columnist of the Washington Post, who used to be their uh, token conservative, has now come out with a new op-ed saying, to save democracy, Biden must cancel the midterms. How you like them apples? I mean, do you uh, you think maybe she's forecasting something? Better not be. Better not be. So, there's a guy named Jesse Kelly. He's a talk show host out of Houston. He's a good guy. And he's out there on Twitter saying, for your information, I don't have a favorite candidate for 2024. He says, I want them all to get in and beat each other to a bloody pulp and earn my vote. That having been said, though, you really shouldn't consider a candidate who doesn't make drastic reforms of the FBI a central theme of his candidacy, if not full elimination of the FBI. And my friend Julie Kelly responded, eliminate, then prosecute for crimes against America. And Jesse Kelly responded, yes. Okay. Now, having said that, I got I to gotta share with you something that I, uh, that I said out there on Twitter today. So, a judge sentenced a guy named Guy Reffitt to 87 months. That's seven years and three months. That's as long as I did local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. Sentenced this guy to seven years and three months in prison after a jury found him guilty of five counts including bringing a gun to the January 6th riot. This is the uh, longest sentence to date in the January 6th investigation. Julie Kelly over at American Greatness says, Reffitt never entered the Capitol building. He's not accused of assault. And it is alleged 
that he brought a gun to the Capitol. Judge Dabney Friedrich, a Trump-appointed judge, just threw the book at him. I can't wait until these so-called Republican D.C. judges end up on a Republican presidential list for promotion. So somebody responded to her, said, Reffitt had guns and then threatened his children if they reported what he did. To which Julie Kelly responded, The government never proved he had the gun on Capitol grounds, and prosecutors know they only had to suggest it to a jury in Washington, D.C., full of Democrats dying to convict a Trump supporter. And then I said, So Sandra Smith over on Fox just read these words off her teleprompter, quote, The defendant carried a loaded gun onto Capitol grounds, unquote. As you mentioned, Julie, the government never proved that, but the truth doesn't matter to Fox News. Now again, just about anybody in the position I'm in, a guy who does a talk show for a living, would give his eye teeth to somehow figure out how to get on to Fox News if just as a guest. Uh, I, I'm i sorry, I, I, uh, I can't play that game. I'm not going to compromise the truth for money. I'm not going to compromise the truth to try to get on Fox News or any network for that matter. I won't do it. I won't do it. Now, we have a couple of congressmen who just eviscerated the FBI. You know, the FBI is under the Justice Department. The FBI is under the DOJ. We have a couple of congressmen who just eviscerated the representative from Biden's DOJ who spoke before them. And I don't know if anybody else doing a talk show is going to share this with you. I don't know if you're going to hear it on any TV news network. But you know what? You're going to hear it here. And that's coming right up. First of all, though, we are so thankful for our advertisers. Our advertisers are our friends. And we are thankful for them for making it possible for us to do what we do here. And here are a couple of them. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. 
As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. All right, thank you very much to our friends, our advertisers, Jonathan Presswood, financial advisor with Edward Jones. And Mitch Ward with Red River Your Way for making it possible for us to do what we do here. And thank you for that matter to people who listen to the live stream. No matter what time of the day or night we do this, as I speak, you're probably listening to the podcast at your leisure after the fact. But as I speak, I'm doing this live stream at 3.28 a.m. Eastern Time. And there are a number of people listening live. God bless you. I don't know when you sleep, but I appreciate you. Appreciate you very much. All right. Now, there's this guy, Matthew G. Olson. And he's the United States Assistant Attorney General from the National Security Division. And you see, the way the government works, there's supposed to be... Three equal branches, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. 
And one of the things the legislative is supposed to do is to uh, hold the executive accountable. Well, it seems this Matthew G. Olson guy, U.S. Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division, he doesn't look at it that way. He doesn't want to be held accountable. He doesn't want for the department he works for, U.S. Department of Justice, to be held accountable. So he likes to stiff-arm questions. That's not a good thing. So we have um, we have a United States representative, a fellow named Dan Bishop, who represents the Ninth District, state of North Carolina, in the U.S. House of Representatives. That's a district that goes. Um, it starts in Mecklenburg County, southeast Charlotte, but it goes way, way down east, North Carolina. Gets uh, close to the beach, a lot closer than Charlotte is. And Dan Bishop had some points to make and some questions to ask of Matthew G. Olson who didn't seem to be too happy to be there. It, it, it went something like, it, you know, I wish there were more guys in the Congress like Dan Bishop, but it, it went something like this. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Assistant Attorney General Olson, in April, in one of the DOJ's highest profile domestic terrorism cases, a federal jury appears to have found that the FBI entrapped people uh, in, in a matter involved in an alleged plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. The jury acquitted two defendants and hung on two others. You're familiar with that case, sir? Uh, yes, sir. I am familiar with that uh, particular prosecution. All right. Um, you've emphasized uh, the, the importance of the DOJ's domestic terrorism mission or of that risk central to the national security mission. Yes. Uh, is that case a fair representation of how DOJ is handling domestic terrorism matters? I would include that case among many others that are part of our efforts to ensure that people who serve in public office are safe. I think the importance is undeniable. Uh, The question is whether that's what FBI is doing. Let me just go on a little further. The the evidence that the jury heard mostly in text messages and testimony of agents and informants of the FBI was that the FBI did not discover an existing scheme and take the plot, you know, collect evidence and take down plotters. Instead, the FBI appears to have contrived the plot, used its informants to draw people into the plot, and uh, provided logistical and financial support to what was, in effect, an FBI operation. See, that's not what they're supposed to be doing. So, Matthew G. Olson... U.S. Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division. He, he doesn't want to talk about that. And uh, the board behind me details just some of the resources that were devoted to the op. You had a lead informant, a guy named Big Dan, who was paid $54,000 over six months to pretend to lead a fake militia to recruit really disadvantaged and unstable men from a Facebook discussion group. 
it's a sort of one of them was living in the cellar of a vacuum uh, repair shop. Uh, FBI paid travel expenses for people involved, food, even alcoholic beverages to take the targeted folks to a militia conference out of state. There were more than a dozen FBI informants involved in the process, undercover FBI agent, uh, several of them, one one of whom taught, purported to teach how to make a bomb and used a, a bomb video produced by the FBI. At one point, according to the New York Times, there was a nighttime surveillance at Governor Whitmer's vacation cabin, and four of the participants were informants, including Big Dan, or undercover agents. At one point when the group was sort of falling apart in August 2020, the FBI handler congratulated Big Dan, said, quote, look at you bringing people together. And he congratulated him for breathing new life into the plot. Um, not as well known, the same FBI agent, Jason Chambers, coached Big Dan in a parallel scheme to recruit folks into a contrived plot against former Virginia Governor Northam. And at one point, he's asked by Big Dan how to couch the plan to one of the recruits. And Chambers wrote, quote, mission is to kill the governor, specifically. So I, again, now that, that's the evidence I understand from the trial. Don't know that it's a complete uh, sampling of it, Mr. Attorney General. But is that the kind of conduct that DOJ and FBI are engaged in in pursuing domestic terrorism matters? So I'm sure you can appreciate that case, um, as you know, involves defendants charged with kidnapping the governor of Michigan. It's an ongoing case. The judge has ordered uh, a retrial, um, and that retrial is set. Um, given that it's an ongoing case, I simply can't comment on any of the questions you've asked. Well, it's not ongoing as to two defendants. They've been acquitted by a jury. Uh, I understand that DOJ has decided to retry two other defendants. Uh, but the evidence is what the evidence has been. That's been public. There's been uh, media stories written about it across the ideological spectrum. It's not like this is some kind of right-wing uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, notion. Don't those revolution, uh, revelations impair the credibility of the FBI, which you said earlier was it's very important? Again, that case is the judge has ordered that that case be retried. It's an ongoing matter, and I can't comment further. Yeah, yeah, you can. The two that were found not guilty can't be retried. It's just two other guys. You can, but you don't want to. Because you don't like accountability. And you're down for the struggle. And you're part of the palace guard instead of what you should be part of, which would be a nonpartisan Justice Department. But I digress. How many FBI informants, agents, respectively, were involved in that operation? I'm not going to comment about um, that particular case. How much did the FBI spend on it? It's an ongoing case. It's set for retrial, um, so I'm not going to comment on it. The, the alleged Whitmer plot was announced October 7, 2020, within a month before the U.S. presidential election. How come that timing for the FBI's announcement of this, of this plot? Uh, that's an ongoing case. I'm not going to comment on it. I can tell you that in every case, uh, we follow the facts and the evidence and the law, and we do so without regard to politics or ideology. 
FBI's got a notorious history on exactly that kind of thing, and you have no comment about that exposure of that during the month before the presidential election or the propriety of time has expired. The gentlewoman from Pennsylvania. Well, let him answer the question. Usually that's the practice. Because he gets to answer the question that I put. Do you have a question? Yeah, I did ask a question. Okay, yes, you may answer the question. That's an ongoing case except for retrial. The judge has set it for retrial, so I'm not going to comment further. So that is Matthew G. Olson's um, Matthew G. Olson's uh, way of flipping the bird at the very notion of the Justice Department being accountable to representatives in the People's House. See, they, they call the uh, they call the U.S. House of Representatives the People's House because our founders originally intended U.S. House of Representatives to uh, represent the people, whereas the U.S. Senate was intended to represent the states. And unfortunately, that was uh, destroyed in 1913. I think, wasn't it the 17th Amendment? Was that the one they passed? Which took away the power of the states to uh, elect senators. Now, that was uh, Dan Bishop, North Carolina, but I've also got Louis Gohmert eviscerating the same Matthew G. Olson. Now you're alive, fam. I'm going to get real up in here. Have there been any FISA orders or warrants obtained uh, to assist in the investigation of what happened to January 6th? So I, I think you can appreciate, Congressman, I'm not in a position to talk about any matters that occur before the FISA court involving the implementation of the... Well, the only way that we can have oversight to, dis, to discern whether or not that we should ever allow FISA to continue is if we find out what's been going on. And I was here beginning January of 05. We talked to lots of people from the Justice Department. We were assured nothing but foreign matters were going before the FISA court. So imagine the shock when we saw this uh, order from the FISA court, which basically, well not basically, it says that all call detail records uh, created by Verizon for communication between the United States and abroad, there's the foreign or wholly within the United States, including local telephone calls, all had to be turned over. And as I understand, there are still orders similar to that that have a big net. And once that information goes into the database of your department, of the DOJ, of the NSA, then there are 
thousands of people that can access that and have access to that and done searches. So the question, when you have something that we're told is wholly domestic, that it's the domestic threat that's so serious, it is an important question to know whether you're using something called FISA, where the F stands for foreign, to go after American citizens. Because that, I can tell you, when I was here back in 06 and 08, we were taking these matters up. If people had known how badly that was being abused, there were people back then on both sides of the aisle who would have said, wait a minute, this is just being abused so much. So that's why it's a fair question to know in general, not specific cases, is the FISA court, has it been used to get orders to investigate January 6th? So, again, I'm not familiar with the order that you referred to a moment ago. Well, it was leaked, I think it was WikiLeaks, and that's what was so shocking to so many of us. And, look, the abuses occurred during the Bush administration, the Obama administration. Uh, There were some in the Trump administration. And I feel sure it's still going on. We need to know the extent of that. Well, let me ask you uh, about a, a case... In Kilgore, Texas, uh, a lady there working for a private oil company got uh, a text from her nephew. He had been looking through the FBI pictures and said, you recognize anybody in this picture? And it looked similar to her. And she did a LOL, you know, gee, that looks like me. Don't turn me in. A couple of days later, two FBI agents show up at her place of business demanding to know where she was on January six she was in Kilgore, Texas. And then they threatened her boss that he could go to prison for covering for her. These guys sound like criminals themselves. They certainly don't sound like law enforcement. Is there any order from any court that allows the DOJ or the NSA to monitor text messages of American citizens? You know, uh, you know, obviously there are court orders, whether they come from federal courts, not the FISA court, or the federal FISA court, uh, that authorize, pursuant to law, uh, search warrants and surveillance. Yes, but search warrants under the Fourth Amendment have to describe with particularity the things to be searched or seized and... That's not happening. That has not been happening. And so when you have no probable cause to go after somebody in Kilgore, Texas, then, you know, we'd heard about, oh, gee, there's software to look for specific words that allow you to go after anybody that hasn't committed crimes. We really need to know how widespread that is. Can you give us an answer? Is that being used? So it's just really important to point out, sir, that the way the, the law works is that the federal judge, a federal FISA court judge, will only approve an order based on probable cause that an individual is an agent of a foreign Mr. power. Mr. Olson, we have proof Gentlemen, that's a lie. It has not Mr. Been Raskin is recognized for five minutes. Mr. Olson, we have proof that's a lie. And we do. 
after all that's come out, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, and how the FBI lied about Kevin Kleinsmith, George Papadopoulos, the FISA court. For this guy to get up there and say, oh, no, 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 no. The only way a FISA judge does something is there's probable cause somebody is an agent of a foreign government. No wonder Louis Gomert says we have proof that's a lie. Because we do. And it is. Man, oh, man. Yeah, I, uh, I really think the FBI needs to be abolished. And a lot of folks and the FBI need to be prosecuted. Oh, Doc, now wait a minute. You know, it's just the seventh floor in D.C. It's just the lead dogs of the FBI. It's not the local guys. Really. Sure was a bunch of local guys trying to entrap people in Michigan. You know? Sure was a bunch of local guys rousing people out of bed before sunup all over the place who didn't do anything wrong. Pretending they had been violent on January 6th or whatever. Know what I'm saying, Holmes? So, yeah, it's it's not just the leadership in D.C. It's not just the leadership in D.C. There's a lot more to it than that. Just so you know. Just so you know. And now they put a guy in jail, in, in prison, they give him a sentence of seven years and three months without proving he had a gun on the premises of the Capitol. There's a picture of him with a holster with no gun in it without charging him with assault or any other kind of violence. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? So, Again, the great Julie Kelly, reporter over at American Greatness, says, Guy Reffitt will go to jail for more than seven years for allegedly bringing a gun to Capitol grounds. He didn't fire a shot, didn't assault anyone, didn't enter the building. On the other hand, Michael Byrd executed Ashley Babbitt inside the building, but he's not charged. He still has a job. And... He's a media hero. Now, maybe half the country thinks that's justice. Okay, but it's not. And no amount of sermonizing by a dunce Washington, D.C. judge, no amount of inflammatory rhetoric by Biden's DOJ or preening by the media will change it. And maybe these same interests think this is sustainable, but it's not. And she points to some knucklehead 
who says because one was attacking democracy and one was defending it. She said this is the perfect example, an anonymous coward blabbering something about so-called democracy, which means nothing because he's gratified a woman was killed by a Capitol Hill cop who got away with it, all because he hates Trump. She says, pray for karma. I got a little bit different way of describing it myself. Pray that they will reap what they have sown. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, we are so thankful for our friends, our advertisers, for making it possible for us to do what we do here. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. Do you have migraines? Neck pain? Back pain? Vertigo? Acid reflux? Eczema? Problems with your blood sugar? Maybe even hay fever? Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. All right, thanks again. Thanks again so much to... My friends, my doctors, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree, Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. I hear from people on a regular basis who remember the personal endorsement advertisements I used to do for them when I was on local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. And they're like, Doc, what was the name of that website? What was it? TurnMyPowerOn.com. All right, now. Having said that, time for our next order of business. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to. And today's Tweet of the Day is from the great Rahim Kassam, 
editor-in-chief of the National Pulse and writer of the irate substack, and he says they accused Trump of being in denial about an abundantly sketchy election, but they give zero hassle to those redefining the word recession for political reasons. Corporate media is the enemy of the people. All of it. And all of them. And that is today's Tweet of the Day. And thank you so much to Red River yourway.com for sponsoring it. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all. Now, I've got a, I got to share with you here. Something. This guy, Guy Reffitt, who gets seven years and three months. The longest sentence for anybody having anything to do with January 6th, even though he committed no violence, didn't even go in the building. Um, Julie Kelly helpfully points out on her Twitter that uh, he is Senator Ted Cruz's constituent and Senator John Cornyn's constituent. I wonder if he, either one of them will speak up to him, speak up for him, I mean. So this, she also points out the same Justice Department that wanted terror enhancement against a January 6th person who never even entered the building and never assaulted anyone. On the other hand, they settled claims filed by Black Lives Matter protesters outside the White House in 2020 and demanded new policies for police. You can't make this stuff up. You know, why is it the Capitol Hill Police Department is the only police department that the leftists support? You ever think about that? Why is that? Now... I got to share this with you. The um, American thinker Sean Ross Gallagher article is entitled "The DOJ's Brazen Corruption," and I'm appreciative of Ned Ryan sharing it. And Julie Kelly retweeting it, because that's how I find a lot of my stuff. He says, the ideal of justice is a blindfolded woman, poised and still, and holding slowly balancing scales. As the Department of Justice, at the Department of Justice over the last several years, the practice of justice is more like an inflatable, flailing tube man. In the lead-up to the 2016 election, everyone thought that department prosecutors would decide whether to charge Hillary Clinton based on whether she knowingly violated a criminal statute prohibiting 
mishandling of classified material, it turned out that then-FBI Director James Comey would decide on the basis of what he thought was reasonable. So after letting Hillary Clinton off, the two-man flailed right and Comey breaking procedure against commenting on a pending investigation announced that the Clinton probe was back on. From then, Justice Department only got worse. Jim Comey told the country that one reason not to charge Hillary Clinton was that the department had never before charged someone for conduct similar to hers. Yet after Comey, the department went on to spend years investigating the then-sitting president not only for conduct never before charged, but for crimes no one ever knew were crimes, like bad tweeting. A dusty old law chiefly prohibiting cheating the federal government out of money would be stapled to President Trump's tweets and taped to an obstruction of justice charge, and then the president was going to be marched off to prison for conspiracy to steal an election, or so the department led the country's credulous left to believe for years. Gone are the days of Jim Comey's somewhat even-handed blundering. The flailing man's hands are now in an unmistakable search for the necks of its political opponents. Consider the unruly capital protest following the 2020 election for the protesters. The department has dusted off the charge of seditious conspiracy. Now, the last time the department charged seditious conspiracy in 2010, it went after a group of so-called Christian nationalists. The charge got thrown out of court. The last time the department made the charge stick was about 30 years ago against Islamic terrorists who plotted to blow up the FBI and UN headquarters. In that case, seditious conspiracy was icing atop an already well-baked cake of indisputable crime. But for the January 6th Capitol protesters, the charge is the essential ingredient with which the department hosts, which with which the department hopes to turn a protest into Pearl Harbor. Without seditious conspiracy, all the department can serve its political masters for dessert are uncoordinated offenses against the public peace, mostly misdemeanors like trespass and a protest otherwise well within the guarantee of the First Amendment. Offenses against the public peace hardly move, hardly moved the department when leftists tormented hundreds of cities and towns across America in the lead-up to the 2020 election. It killed a lot of people, assaulted thousands of policemen, and caused billions in damages. For them, the Justice Department took a break from its legal MacGyverism, although groups of leftists organizing online sought to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of laws of the United States. None faced charges for seditious conspiracy even after attacking federal courthouses, ICE facilities, and even the White House itself in the summer of 2020. For the worst of the leftist rioters, 
Justice Department prosecutors played the role of defense lawyers. They pleaded with a federal judge to go easy on one Montez Terrio Lee Jr., who burned a man to death in a Minnesota business he set on fire because, and this is a quote from the Justice Department's actual brief, Mr. Lee, a five-time convict, quote, credibly stated that he was in the streets to protest unlawful police violence against black men, and there is no basis to disbelieve him, unquote. The brief from federal prosecutors even urged the judge to see that, quote, a riot is the language of the unheard, unquote, profanely quoting the revered apostle of nonviolence, Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., For Mr. Lee, the two-man flailed so far left it became a windsock in a gale and snapped. Federal sentencing guidelines call for Lee to get 20 years in prison. The department wanted him to get no more than 12. But for Guy Wesley Reffitt, a Capitol protester who had no serious criminal past, hurt no one and never even entered the Capitol building, guidelines call for about 10 years. The department wanted to stick him with 15. See, because Guy Reffitt, in the department's view, for him, a riot is not the language of the unheard, but an attack on our democracy, by which the Justice Department means that Lee's democracy and not Reffitt's. In the democracy, the department cares to protect whether Reffitt sincerely believed that he was the one defending American democracy from an unlawful attack isn't worth even a moment's note because Reffitt Back to the wrong guy, Trump. And nothing is worse than that for them, not even murder. Since President Trump's election, the animating principle of the Justice Department has boiled down to one rule, get him. See, Guy Reffitz is just another body the department plans to climb over to reach to Donald Trump, whom it wants to charge as the ringleader of a popular paroxysm that it helped to stoke by its own corruption for which it tries to dress up as the brainchild of the one man it most hates. And Lee, the Minnesota rioter, is just another soldier granted pardon for his service in the left's anti-Trump politics. Justice Department is unlikely ever to reform itself. It is fast racking up taxpayer bills approaching $100 million going after Trump and his supporters while spending but virtual pennies to put leftist rioters in jail. Its problem is its people. Department lawyers like Jeffrey S. Nessler in Revit's case and Thomas Calhoun Lopez in Lee's are model and long-standing department employees, and that's the problem. You see, the task of reforming the department will fall to a Republican Party doing its voters' will and perhaps also a re-elected President Trump himself, for no matter how brazen the department's corruptions become, There will never be enough space in jail for the over 74 million Americans who in 2020 voted for for President Trump's re-election despite the most strenuous efforts of its most committed enemies. That's Sean Ross Callahan, an attorney, a tech entrepreneur, and a former federal law clerk over at TheAmericanThinker.com.
AmericanThinker.com. The uh, article is entitled, The DOJ's Brazen Corruption. And it is, it is quite brazen Now, speaking of brazen corruption, uh, the Western Journal has an article by the great Warner Todd Houston. In an important ruling, 500 healthcare workers in Illinois have won a huge $10.3 million victory against an employer that fired them for refusing to take the coronavirus vaccine. This is announced by the Liberty Council. CBN News reported last Friday, the class action settlement against North Shore University Health System is on behalf of more than 500 current and former health care workers who were unlawfully discriminated against and deny religious exemptions from the COVID shot mandate. The statement, pardon me, the settlement was revealed last week in the Federal Northern District of Illinois. The class-wide lawsuit was spearheaded by the nonprofit Christian-focused Liberty Council, which sought to sue North Shore University Health System for violating its employees' religious expression in a statement Liberty Council Vice President of Legal Affairs and Chief Litigation Counsel Horatio G. Mehet said, we're very pleased with the historic $10 million settlement achieved in our class action lawsuit against North Shore University Health System. The drastic policy change and substantial monetary relief required by the settlement will bring a strong measure of justice to North Shore's employees were callously forced to choose between their conscience and their jobs. Said this settlement should also serve as strong warning to employers across the nation that they cannot refuse to accommodate those with sincere religious objections to forced vaccination mandates. Well, now, wait a minute. My former employer, Cumulus Media, did exactly that. To me and other employees. Ignored our... Religious exemptions. So I wonder, maybe I should get in touch with this nonprofit Christian focused Liberty Council and ask them if uh, they're up for another class action lawsuit. Wouldn't that be something? Now, speaking of this um, vaccine situation. There's an article I want to get to from American Greatness by Dan Galertner. Dan Galerter, entitled, Doctors Said the Vaccine Was Safe. Now, it's not. You know that, right? It's not. Story in the news now about a newborn baby's arm having to be amputated after mom took COVID vaccines and the baby suffered Blood clots in the womb. Did you hear about that? Fox News ain't going to tell you about it. Newsmax ain't going to tell you about it. If your cable sisters like mine, they already kicked one American news off. Where else are you going to hear about it? 
Little Zach Riley is now missing an arm after he had to be amputated almost immediately after his birth when it was discovered the child had developed blood clots in both his now-removed left arm as well as his brain. The child was reportedly delivered in an emergency cesarean section 37 weeks, July 11th, 2021, he had a bruised and blistered left arm and the limb was removed after an MRI scan showed he had suffered a stroke while still inside his mother's womb. The stroke destroyed the child's arm and brain, though he is he was initially said to be adapting brilliantly, according to media reports. Now, this is in something I never heard of before, the Freedom First Network. FreedomFirstNetwork.com. I'm like, now, wait a minute. What is FreedomFirstNetwork.com? Is this legit? Is this for real? But they link to something called NewsPunch.com. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll click the link. NewsPunch.com, the article entitled Fully Jabbed Mom Horrified After Baby's Arm Amputated Due to Blood Clots Suffered in the Womb. I'm like, yeah, but what is... News punch, it says, where mainstream fears to tread. Okay, but I was like, you know, I hope hope they got a link to something, right? Well, they did. They did. They had a link to a legit um, mainstream media paper, the Hull Daily Mail. Hull. Now, Hall Daily Mail is a daily newspaper for Kingston-upon-Hull and East Yorkshire, England. Kingston-upon-Hull is usually abbreviated to Hull. It's a port city and unitary authority in the East Riding of Yorkshire, England. So this is... The Hull Daily Mail. Baby's arm amputated at 10 days old after he suffered blood clots in the womb. It's true. It's true. Now, I want to take you, if I may, to a great... American statesman, a fellow named uh, Thomas Massey. Now, I got in trouble one time when I still worked for Cumulus Media and Little Rock for quoting Thomas Massey. The boss told me that he wasn't uh, authoritative. Something about COVID, I don't remember what it was. What, is he some kind of a scientist? I'm like, yeah, he's got a he's got a degree from MIT. Yeah, so I think he's some kind of a scientist. But see, I was challenging the the COVID orthodoxy of uh cumulus media, and that didn't go over too well. You couldn't challenge the efficacy of the uh, the vaccines, you know. I mean eventually that's why I got fired, because I, 
I refused. My buddy Stephen Finnegan was trying to warn people early on about, hey, you know, it's not really a vaccine. It's a gene therapy. And people thought that was crazy talk. People thought, oh, what are you, a conspiracy theorist? But see, the problem with conspiracy theorists is the conspiracies keep on coming true. Don't you know? Especially about this vaccine. Have you seen the viral videos of like the soccer players in Europe just dropping dead on the field? See, they, they, they sold all this COVID foolishness to us with uh, videos coming out of China with people supposedly dropping dead in the street. I don't know if you've heard, but China is a totalitarian government, and uh, they tend to lie. Because um, power corrupts absolute power, corrupts absolutely. Anyway, Thomas Massey, United States Representative from uh, Kentucky, talking about the fact that the vaccine does not stop the spread, which is what they always told us it would do. Here we go. Just a few things I want to correct in in the story or examples that were just given. I think it's been dispelled that the vaccine prevents the spread of COVID. I mean, I don't know why we're still saying that. I mean, the CDC director has apologized for being wrong about that. Uh, the NIH directors said that he was wrong about that. Deborah, Literally everybody, Deborah Burke. Come and yield. I, I will yield. Did Dr. Fauci admit that he was wrong about that as well yet? I, I believe they've all admitted that. No, well, no way. So uh, they got the vaccine and they got COVID. Yes, they've all enough. gotten COVID. The president himself is contagious right now, even though he's had four shots of the vaccine. And that is why he's staying away from people. So I I just take a little bit of issue that we are in a a congressional markup, still perpetuating this falsehood that was propagated by the the pharmaceutical companies that stood to profit by this. They knew it wasn't even true. Their their tests with 50,000 people in the trials were designed to explicitly not show whether it did or didn't stop the spread of COVID. So I, I just offended that we're still perpetuating that myth when virtually everybody has admitted that it was a myth. And, and the reason we need to acknowledge that is that is the myth that underlies the entire rationalization for kicking somebody out of the military for not taking the vaccine. Will the gentleman yield? I will yield to the gentleman from California. I can't wait for January 3rd, maybe the 4th, when one of our early HRs restores those men and women, those brave men and women who asked for and were denied their valid exemptions, and we restore them to full active duty, which, by the way, will unring the bell of any question of a general or other than honorable discharge, and I look forward to working with the gentleman on that. I look forward to that, too. They should all be reinstated. None of them should have been given anything less than an honorable discharge at all for this. And and while I've still got time on the clock, I have to mention... 
The, the Secretary of Defense issued a statement on August 24th saying that the vaccines that were required and that would be administered would be the FDA-approved vaccines and not a single dose of FDA-approved vaccine, a.k.a. Comirnaty, in the case of Pfizer, or Spikevax, in, in the case of Moderna. Not a single dose of that has been given to a single member of the military, as the Secretary of Defense specified. And it was his only legal way to require the vaccine for members of military was that it was FDA approved and that the doses that they would receive would be the FDA approved legally distinct from the other vaccines that they were got that they were received and also labeled as such labeled appropriately none of those vaccines have been given yet members tens of thousands of members of the military have been kicked out for not taking that vaccine gentlemen you I would I would yield to the gentleman from North Carolina the gentleman suggesting that the military engaged in a bait and switch and substituted a different vaccine than that which was approved? I, I am absolutely saying that what the Secretary of Defense is doing right now is illegal. We know it. I, I would characterize it as a crime in progress. I'm going to tell you something right now. People need to go to prison for the rest of their lives. It is a crime in process and progress. Pardon me. You're listening to U.S. Representative Thomas Massey, Kentucky. Would the gentleman yield? Uh, I'm going to yield to Mr. Tiffany, who's asked. Yeah, I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. Are you saying they've received the experimental use vaccine? The emergency use authorization vaccine is all they've received. Not a single member of the military has received the FDA-approved version. Well, it's good you're dispelling this notion that's out there that they're getting the... um, the FDA-approved vaccine. There, there are two notions I want to dispel, and I would give the general lady time to respond to this. The, the notion that the vaccine stops the spread of COVID. Does, would the general lady like to clarify her comments on that? I, I, does the gentleman yield? I do. The, the point I'm making is that there's activity that we, that service members could engage in that we would not find to be egregious. For example, the adultery. other... Adultery. Adultery. Exactly. I mean, I'm not in favor of it. I think it's right. a sin, but I don't think it's... it's I, you know, reclaiming my time. And I, and I think the general lady gave uh, valid examples, but the one that I don't, I, you know, with all due respect, I don't think it's valid is to uh, substantiate the disproven notion that the vaccine stops the spread of COVID and that would be a reasonable uh, reason to give somebody a discharge that's less than honorable. And um, with that, I yield back. There it is. They know and they don't care. They know and they don't care. And that's why you got guys like Fauci who get out there and still say things like this. If you're in an indoor congregate setting and you go to the computer and click on the CDC map and you see that the county that you're in is an orange or a red zone, then when you're in a congregate indoor setting, wear a mask. You believe this? So um, here's what Thomas Massey said on Twitter. He said, at the beginning of COVID, hospitals 
Some pharma and insurance companies got a big favor from the federal government. The president invoked the PREP Act, which means nobody can sue if they are negligent if they are negligently injured by emergency use authorization, COVID vaccines, COVID treatments, or COVID testing. We're in a period of medical malpractice, martial law, and it needs to end. And by the president, he's talking about Trump. This is 2020. Current, currently, and until PrEP Act measures are revoked, state liability law is being canceled by the federal government in the name of covid I would argue that's not constitutional. When will it end? For instance, a woman in Kentucky was injured by a COVID nasal test swab at a hospital. The healthcare provider inserted the swab too far, pierced her sinus cavity, and went into the lining surrounding her brain, caused a cerebrospinal fluid leak. Case dismissed due to the PrEP Act. Anybody told you about this? Has anybody told you about this? He goes on. He says, Trump invoked it and Biden maintains it. Somebody else said, seems a strong incentive to attribute COVID to any illness once in the system. And Thomas Massey responded, bingo. I'm told that some nursing homes are trying to use the PrEP Act as a defense in lawsuits to cover some things that aren't actually related to COVID. Well, there you go. There you go. Trump invoked it, and Biden maintains it. And so you can't sue Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson if you have severe COVID vaccine side effects. The government likely won't compensate you for damages either. The Australian government would if you have bad side effects to the vaccine down there, but not, not the U.S. Not the U.S. Now, I think something's wrong with that. Don't you? Outrageous. It's just outrageous. Now, again, I go back to um, Jesse Kelly, talk show host out of Houston. And he had something to say about uh, about Fauci. You know, play that clip of Fauci a little bit ago saying, oh, yeah, wear masks. Yeah, yeah, it's 2022. Wear masks. He says, I'm at the point where I don't blame Fauci anymore. Sure, throw him in prison. But. If you're still wearing a mask on your face and getting a shot every six months, that's on you. You get what you get. Don't throw a fit. Tired of accommodating sheep. 
He says, America's medical institutions are broken. You're going to have to take more ownership of your health care than your parents had to. You shouldn't be trusting your doctor. You should, should be vetting your doctor. If you don't, that's on you. He says, just last week, the wife took the boys to the dentist. Dentist had a new sign on the door announcing a face mask requirement. Wife demanded to know if she and the boys had to wear one. She was sheepishly told, no. She went to the waiting room and everybody else just last week had a mask on. This is unacceptable now for all of you. You've had two years to figure out the truth. Your politicians are pathetic. They're embarrassing. They won't defend you. Start standing up and defending your own freedom. Start saying no. No, I won't wear that. No, I won't inject that into my body. No, I'm not denying myself a single thing a free man should have just because you tyrants want me to. No, learn how to say that word. No. Learn how to have some kind of testicular fortitude. Use the word no. That's all. Well, God bless Jesse Kelly for saying that. God bless him. Now, let's get to that article. American Greatness, Dan Galerter, article entitled, Doctors Said the Vaccine Was Safe. Recently, German Euro Member of Parliament, Christine Anderson, called vaccine coercion the worst crime ever committed on humanity. This would conveniently replace the previous record in this category held by the Germans, but she may turn out to be right. She said, there's so much coming to light, all of the adverse side effects, numerous studies now available on fetal disfigurements, genetic defects of babies born to women who got vaccinated. Also recently, Fox News host Tucker Carlson drew attention to a recent study published in the Journal of Food and Toxicology claiming to have observed diverse adverse consequences to human health from the vaccine, potentially including a causal link to neurodegenerative disease, myocarditis, immune thrombocytopenia, Bell's palsy, liver disease, impaired adaptive immunity, impaired DNA damage response, and tumorogenesis. Dan Galerter says, I happen to be unvaccinated. I also never caught COVID, but that may be purely a matter of chance. My being unvaccinated, however, has nothing to do with chance. It was an act of willpower in the face of petty substantial pressure from a lot of directions. New York won't let me indoors without my vaccine identity papers, and I refuse to carry a fake card. He says, I have friends who went through much worse, including one facing de facto expulsion from Columbia University for refusing the vaccine. Her religious exemption was denied. Columbia probably figured her religious faith was nothing compared to theirs. 
she might believe in Christianity, but they believe in the vaccine. And who's anyone to question their faith? It was all primed. No, he says, I was all primed to take the vaccine when it first became available and might well have gotten it were it not for the very religious character of the pressure to do so. That made me suspicious. We were repeatedly assured, remember the early days? That those who took the vaccine were completely invincible to COVID. So I figured that by not taking it, I could harm only myself. But mysteriously, this was not the case. The vaccine was, on the one hand, completely effective. On the other hand, I was posing a danger to the vaccinated by not getting it. No doctor was willing to explain the contradiction to me. And I think the problem was that a lot of doctors that had already gotten vaccinated and gotten their children vaccinated without thinking logically about the potential consequences. Then, when potential consequences began to look bad, it was better to pretend that everything was going to be fine than to admit that they might have poisoned themselves and their children. I had a lengthy conversation on the subject more than a year ago with a doctor friend of mine, a good fellow and a friend from school. He was trying to convince me to take the vaccine, if not for myself, then for those around me. By this point, we had shifted from you won't get COVID with the vaccine to you won't get COVID as bad. This may also be false, but it was on that day's menu of truth. And so the new argument was that I could still hurt other people by not getting vaccinated. The doctor assured me it was completely, totally safe. But how could we know that? That's all I asked him. How could we know it was completely, totally safe? Even if this vaccine were not a brand new technology, even if it were something conventional, long-term side effects could not possibly be known until there was time for them to develop and be observed. The doctor told me that the CDC assured us the vaccine was safe so there could not possibly be any risk. But how could, the va- how could the CDC know, I asked him. And we began moving in circles. He refused to see the logical fallacy, and I refused to acknowledge that the CDC could know something that only the passage of time would reveal. So he finally fell back on the initial argument. This is an emergency, and you should get it for the good of society. Think of the women and children. Think of your elderly family members. You might be killing them. Well, now, who has been killing whom? I don't want to say I told you so to people who got vaccinated. God forbid. I just want to ask all the doctors who injected their patients and promised total safety when they knew they had no right to make such a promise. What are you going to do now? What if it gradually becomes clear that you have harmed and damaged hundreds or maybe even thousands of people, perhaps permanently? We already know the answer to this. They're going to say it wasn't our fault. The CDC told us it was safe. Pfizer said it was safe. We're victims too. We were deceived. We had no way of knowing. But you doctors did know. Not that the vaccine was necessarily dangerous. 
but that there was no way of knowing for certain that it was not dangerous. And you are responsible for the damage done by every injection administered, whatever that may turn out to be. Ultimately, I believe this scandal will bring down Pfizer and Moderna. They may have all sorts of indemnity against harm caused by their vaccines, and it may take 20 years, but ultimately public outrage will reach such a fever pitch against these drug companies that they will implode. They will have traded massive, unheard-of profits today in exchange for ruin tomorrow. One of the reasons Pfizer and Moderna won't survive is that tens of thousands of doctors will need somewhere to put the blame. That should also rest on their shoulders. The doctors will say, We were just following orders. Yeah. We've heard that one before, haven't we? As Dan Galerter over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, article entitled, Doctors Said the Vaccine Was Safe. But, 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 wait now. Speaking of amgreatness.com, there's another article over there by Deborah Hine entitled, Documents Say CDC Colluded with Big Tech to censor Americans who criticized the COVID jabs. And maybe we can get to that tomorrow. Maybe we can also get to the great scandal involving the current governor of Arkansas. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There's a lot to get to on the next episode of the Doc Washburn Show. You've been listening to episode 207 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped if you'd like a transcript of of today's episode. Of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. And that's the way it is, Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022.